I had a very enlightening conversation with Dr. Lumlung. She's smart, she's focused, and she's compassionate. And she's launching a company that could be a game changer in healthcare. Enjoy. It's time for the Healthcare Huddle, simplifying the business of healthcare. Presented by Encompass Medical, devoted to helping organizations succeed with customized medical practice management services. Visit EncompassMedical.com today. Now, here's your host, Michael Zerbis. I'm incredibly happy today to have Dr. Christine Lumlung as our guest. Dr. Lumlung is a serial healthcare entrepreneur. She's very smart and she's a ferociously hard worker. I have had the good fortune to occasionally work alongside Dr. Lumlung and I always walk away thinking I can do more, I can be better, and I can help more people. And that's a good thing for me because just by her actions and her vision, she stretches me. And I imagine that's the case with most people. So I'm excited because I think she's going to stretch all of us today. She's had numerous past successes in launching healthcare enterprises, and she's now embarking on a new venture called Origin Healthcare. And as we talked a little bit about this offline, I was taken by the concept and the impact that potentially this can have in the industry. And what Origin Healthcare does is it seeks to move hospital-bound patients out of the hospital so that subsequent care can be delivered in the home. And I think there's some compelling reasons for this venture and some, as I mentioned, powerful impacts it could have. So let's jump right in. Dr. Lumlung, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Michael. It's an honor to be here. So why don't we just start by kind of, if you could, sketching out at a 30,000 foot level, what is this concept of hospital at home and this origin healthcare that you're launching? Help our listeners understand what that is, what that really means. Absolutely. And I think, you know, your 30,000 foot comment is definitely apropos right now, too, because we're up at that level, but moving very quickly. So hospital at home actually, to start off with, actually isn't uh, new in the world. It's fairly new in the United States, but actually it's been used, this model of care successfully in multiple other countries throughout the world, Australia, the UK, Canada, Mm. Israel. In the 1990s, it was really started here in the U.S. by Dr. Bruce Leff, who's a geriatrician out at John Hopkins. And he was really looking at ways to help that patient population actually do a little bit better, try to stay as independent and as functional as possible. And so he was sort of the United States founder of the hospital at home model. And Hmm. the model approach is basically saying that hospitals are super valuable for what they do. We definitely will always need hospital care, but especially as healthcare has evolved and as patients have become, I think, a little bit better advocates for themselves as well, there's been a need to rethink about how we're delivering healthcare. And the studies started being done to look at the model of delivering a hospital-level care, but actually doing it within the comfort of a patient's home. And so it would be taking certain patients that met um, eligibility criteria, whether from a medical standpoint or an environmental safety standpoint for their home, and actually transferring the care to the patient's home and bringing the care team there. So doctors, nurses, aides, physical occupational therapy, 
really delivering the same level of diagnostic evaluation, so ultrasounds, x-rays, labs, and then being able to deliver the same level of care, so IV medications, wound care, and the other medications that we would do in the hospital to help patients improve. Well, so I've got about three or four questions bubbling (laughs) through my brain. So let's start there at the beginning, because I'm wondering, what do you think is the reason that it's taken so long to be adopted? And why is there such a a slow implementation? Let's start there. And then I want to drill down about some of the um, testing that you're done and the ability to deliver same care, or maybe better care. I want to delve into that. But do you have a feeling for why it's taken off in other countries, but it's been slow here? Yes, I do. And if I actually can step back even one step backwards for to sort of set the stage for this as well. The great thing about the fact that it's been done in other countries and then done here by Dr. Lepp and others, Mount Sinai, the Brigham, is that we've actually had some great studies that actually look at it. So the idea is fantastic to think about, gosh, wouldn't it be great to stay in our home to get that care? But one of the things you want to answer first is, is this actually effective? Is it safe? As a patient, as a provider, you definitely want to meet that threshold before you can actually make that care. And so these studies show by all metrics that we in healthcare really value patient satisfaction, adverse events, mortality, and then importantly, you know, in a healthcare system where cost becomes even more of an issue each year that we go by, the cost savings is there as well too. So here we had this model that was not only being used in other countries and them doing it successfully, but we actually had the clinical studies here in the United States that actually showed that this was an excellent model of care with all of these outcomes and costs being beneficial. So back to your question, so then why, right? Why hasn't it taken off? And unfortunately, some of it just has to do with the rigid payment structures that we see here in the United States. So the reasons in those countries that I mentioned, most of them have a universal health type of coverage system. And so the payment model is very different here in the United States. If you look at Medicare and Medicaid, so CMS, the Centers for Medicaid, Medicare and Medicaid Services, they previously have linked hospital-based reimbursement to actually being in the hospital facility and had not permitted any of that care to be done outside of the hospital walls. And so that, you know, when you look at over, you know, 50% probably of uh, most patient populations being in that Medicare bucket, it really restricts this from being something that you could widely implement. And a lot of commercial payers usually try to take their cues from Medicare as well, too. Right, right. Has that changed, though? Has the pay model changed in recently in the last two, five, 10 years? So luckily, there's been some great, very dedicated believers in the hospital at home model who, in spite of, you know, these barriers, had continued to try to push it through. So Dr. Left being, you know, one of them that continued to bring this up repeatedly. And so there were Medicare what I call innovation projects that were done in the past. And Mount Sinai did one of these and found, again, great results when their grant period ended at that time because of the outcomes they were seeing. They actually went into a joint venture with a home-based agency, and then they approached some of the private payers, and they entered into some contracts with a handful of private payers to deliver this model. And so I think you're starting to see some of these innovations and now more payers especially looking you know, at what they find important as well, too, is they're really looking at that value-based care. And I think we hear this continually that we're going to be moving away from the fee-for-service realm into a value-based care. 
It's, I think, taking longer than people had expected, but I think people yes. are really looking at where can we get really high quality outcomes for lower cost, and this is one of the ways. And so we're really trying to see this model actually being adopted by more of the outpatient payers. And then the pandemic hit, right? So the pandemic pushed the the idea of telehealth and remote, and it started to open the door to see more ability to see the different ways to deliver healthcare. Is that the connection there? Yeah, so lots of different things I think that the pandemic brought on. And, um, you know, I think we all have to learn, you know, as much as we can from what happened here on how we can actually do things better. But one of the things I think it's opened our mind up to is that there are different ways to deliver healthcare and we can make changes, I think, quicker than we thought. And so telehealth is the one that I think people identify with most because we probably all had experience as providers or patients or our loved ones have you telehealth now. And so I think, you know, people will say that the adoption, the widespread adoption of telehealth has really been accelerated by a decade. And CMS was the one that said, hey, we're going to put a waiver in place for this period of time. And then when they were able to see the outcomes, they were able to say, hey, let's look at what pieces of this we actually want to make permanent. So CMS has actually stepped into this realm with this hospital at home model as well, too. So in the pandemic, they actually released a waiver called Hospital Without Walls. And what that allowed hospital systems to do was to provide hospital care outside of the facility. So these would be in areas like convention centers or Navy ships or hotels. And so it yeah, allowed yeah, for that yeah. first transition to get a little bit outside the hospital walls. And then they opened up a bigger waiver at the end of November that's actually allowing for the full model to be delivered now in patients' homes as well, too. And so I think we're starting to see some of that open-mindedness about how we can uh, deliver health in a little bit different ways. And we have this opportunity right now when the pandemic ends to think, okay, what pieces do we want to continue to carry forward and what lessons? And our hope is, again, that this flexibility of being able to think outside of the box I think in healthcare, we get so used to doing some of the ways, things the way we've been doing them before that we may not, you know, pull our heads up and look, you know, five steps ahead. And I think we had to learn how to do that in the pandemic. So I'm hopeful that there are pieces of the pandemic that we all keep with us as we move forward. And this would be one is the ability to be innovative and flexible and putting the patient at the center of those decisions. Yeah, it's a great point. And I want to drill down a little bit about the specific advantages. I was reading an article a couple of days ago. Uh, actually, it was a research paper that was done in the journal. And, and it, it talked about, it was done in 2019, that 25% of healthcare costs are attributable to waste. And the number was staggering to me because it was the total number for the United States, that 25 represented a larger GNP than any country in Africa, any country in South America, except for one, and most of the countries in Europe. And so we waste more than their whole country's mm. gross national product is. And it made me think about this because my understanding is that this actually helps reduce costs significantly. And so I was wondering if you could could speak to that for a second. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the study about the waste. I think, you know, in so many of our industries, we probably um, also need to be evaluating that as well. You know, this specifically is looking at the cost savings that comes from not actually having brick and mortar. 
right. expensive to do in a lot of different ways. And so being able to actually not have to build, you know, new wings or new towers on as well, because you can actually have the patients in the right location instead of just continuing to add on as well too. So these costs are specifically really targeted at looking at decreasing the fixed cost of healthcare from within the facility. But also, I think to be fair, and I'm a hospitalist at heart, so I'm, I'm sort of throwing myself under the bus as well too. You know, you have sort of this proximity bias as well too. And when you're in the hospital and it's super easy to order a repeat lab sure. or it's super easy to just get an x-ray whenever you're interested in it, you know, you may not be as sensitive to some of the cost as I think we all really need to be. And so when you're in the home, you have to be thoughtful about, you know, getting the lab, having the radiology team come in as well too. By no means do you ever want to make a decision that's not in the best interest of the patient. But I think in those venues, we might perhaps overorder. And the data from the hospital at home actually do indicate that as well. So they actually looked at the utilization rate of labs and radiology and found it much lower in the hospital at home model, again, without compromising any of the safety or outcome measures as well, too. And so I think that's where you might see some of that cost savings. Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions provides full suite IT managed services and security solutions in order for companies to operate successfully in the current highly connected environment. Has your company chosen to increase remote working capacity? Has your company been looking to transition more of its IT infrastructure to the cloud? The Encompass team has helped numerous client partners adapt their business infrastructure to be more remote friendly while improving their security posture. Our team of information technology professionals will test your team with friendly phishing attempts and help you train your team to follow more secure behaviors to protect your business and reputation. With industry-leading service level response times, Encompass's IT team will help keep your enterprise operating smoothly and in a position to minimize the inevitable attack. For more information, go to EncompassHDS.com, select information technology, and click the learn more button to schedule a discovery call. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I don't think that anybody is acting with malintent relative to ordering things, but I think you're right. I think the proximity and the ease and also hospitalists are busy. (laughs) And so you're moving quickly and that doesn't lend itself to making thoughtful, slow down decisions and cost benefit analysis, especially when you're focused on the patient. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think your point is well taken. And I think it's just a function of the way the system is built. And it got me to thinking about the other elements. So I'm thinking about hospital-acquired infections. I'm assuming that's better in a home environment. And at the same time, when you're or your team is in that home, you're also able to start to look at better understand the social determinants of outcomes. Maybe you can speak to those two things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So some of the you know, in, in spite of all of our best efforts in the hospital, you know, there are still adverse events that will happen. And so there are still safety events, hospital acquired infections that can happen. You know, we'll have a vulnerable population that may have some underlying dementia. And the hospital can be a really disorienting place to be. Our schedules are different. Your sleep wake cycle is thrown off. And so unfortunately, we'll see people that come into the hospital that end up getting 
more confused because they're in there as well. And all of these measures were actually studied in this hospital at home model and were much better when those same patients were actually cared for. You know, and we're talking, you know, just even if I were to talk about the incidence of delirium, it's 63% lower in the hospital at home model than in the hospital setting, which is wow. For healthcare, we celebrate one or 2% difference sometimes. So when you're seeing That's numbers crazy. like this as well, I think it's really hard to deny the impact of that. And then the second benefit, which is why I feel so passionate about this model as well too, is that you know, when we're seeing patients in the hospital, there's so many different things that obviously they're out of their element. They're on our territory in the hospital. They're in an unfamiliar setting. They're having to follow our schedule as well. And we don't really get to see them in the context of their life as much in spite of how much we might ask them or ask their family members. And so being able to actually be in the patient's home and see those factors that might be influenced and impacting their health, I by no means think that patients don't disclose those things. I think they might just take them for granted or not realize actually how important that would be for us to know you know, you can't afford, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables. And so you're getting canned food or TV dinners. Let's talk about the sodium intake that's in this and how we can find you alternative affordable meals to help prevent the salt load that leads to your congestive heart failure exacerbation as well. You know, where are people storing their medications? How many different pill bottles might they have accumulated because they get different prescriptions from different providers as well? So I think one of the big things that I'm loving about this is that we get to meet the patients where they are and then really build the care plan around that environment, not just having us assume that we understand the environment that they're in. Yeah. And where they are not just geographically, but emotionally, psychologically, exactly. uh, right? I remember that when I was running a outpatient system in a rural environment, one of the things that we found was that we had excess capacity with our EMTs. And so we started having our EMTs go out to some of these patients that were, we considered at risk. They had been admitted to the hospital sent back home and we did a quote unquote check-in. And during that check-in, there was a lot of review of the social determinants that you're talking about, right? Are they living alone? What's the trip fall hazard? What, you know, do they have three dogs running underneath their feet? Mm -hmm. Do they have neighbors? Is there anybody checking in on them? And then we found that when we isolated that group versus the group that we didn't do anything with, the group that we we're doing with had an incredible decrease in readmissions of new problems of it was it was remarkable and it was just that human connection and another set of eyes so i think it's it has nothing to do with the patient's willingness to reveal mm-hmm. it's just it's much more nuanced than you can capture on a sheet on a piece of paper right? exactly exactly i think again being able to be trained and have other people in and see things that you know, that a patient or a loved one may not identify as a potential contribution to their health is going to be really important. And, you know, one thing we haven't talked about as well, but about the benefit of, you know, being able to meet the patient in their home as well, too, is that, again, this, you know, was true even before COVID is that there are people that that just don't want to be in the hospital or don't want to be in the hospital for more than a day or so. And so we see people, I think, that avoid seeking medical care when they start to experience symptoms because they're afraid that we as clinicians will tell them, okay, you need to go to the hospital. You know, we don't provide patients with those options. And I truly believe with this model that if patients know that they now have a choice 
and could get that care in the home, that we wouldn't force them into the hospital, that they will actually engage with us earlier before yeah. their clinical deterioration, before they've fallen off the medical cliff and we have to rescue them back. And I just, I believe that patients will be able to move the course of their illness backwards by providing them with options in their healthcare and allowing them to engage at a level that meets the needs that they most value. Yeah. And, and prevention is a lot less expensive than mm-hmm. rescue. Exactly. And- you're setting up a positive feedback loop with the patient where they felt agency, they had control, they got a good outcome. And so they're more likely to then stay in front of everything as opposed to the delay. And I think that's really smart and and great. You know, my experience has been so much in rural health and I just keep thinking how this is just such a natural fit in a rural environment. I'm not saying or implying that it doesn't fit in other places, but so many of the challenges in rural health of people being able to drive 65 miles to a hospital or being afraid to go in or can't afford the cost that they are associated with. And and this just fits in so many ways. And I love it for the rural environment, but overall, I just love the idea that this can be scaled in all applications, right? In, in environments, I shouldn't say in applications, right? It fits everywhere, no? Exactly. And I think for us, especially at, at Origin Healthcare, we we want this model to be a model that's accessible to everybody. And so that's why we really, obviously, we really hope the CMS waiver gets you know, permanent status. We hope that it pairs, embrace it as well too, because we want this to be something that anyone can access. And I am so glad you brought up the rural communities as well, too. You know, here in Colorado, we have such great, robust rural communities. And I heard your previous speaker on the podcast um, last week talk about that as well, too, is this is an area that we have to make sure that we don't neglect as well, too. And not here, but in other places, you're seeing, you know, some of these rural hospitals close. And the pandemic, again, was sort of the financial severity that it inflicted on many communities, you know, that will unfortunately impact some of these hospitals and how do we care for the patients out in that community. And and this model of care, it may look a little bit different, but I think the fundamentals of it are the same as well too. And I think this could easily be deployed out to those communities to provide this service. And so access to care and, and the ability to get equitable health care, no matter who you are and where you are, is a really important part of our mission. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned Michelle Mills, the CEO of the Rural Health Initiative here in in Colorado, because I was thinking about her too as you were talking, and I was thinking mm-hmm. about what a wonderful, what a wonderful tool in her toolbox, mm-hmm. right? And offline, we may talk about connecting you two, and because you know she's out there trying to find solutions, and you have a solution, mm-hmm. and you want to get it into the market. I'm like. Gosh and heck, if we can do anything, let's put you two together because that does have the ability to impact lots of lots of people who are to varying degrees disenfranchised. And I think not to beat a dead horse on this, but we are creating health deserts in a lot of our rural environments mm-hmm. and that bill's coming due. So we got to fix it. And I see this as a perfect, it's almost like a turnkey solution. Mm-hmm. And it's, you go, gosh, we can mitigate a huge part of the problem out there with this model. So good on you. But it but it makes me it makes me think about the barriers to adoption. And so I want to talk a little bit about that because 
like all good ideas. <laughs> uh, I know that's it's 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 so interesting because I'm an old man, but I'm still naive enough to think there shouldn't be any. So, but there are. So, so let's talk about them a little bit. And so, one of the things is I keep thinking about my mom, who was in the in and out of the hospital towards the end of her life, and her desire to not be in the hospital. But I also think about how. I could convince her that it was going to be okay to be at home and that she wasn't quote unquote missing out on some special elixir or, or set of uh, tools or circumstances. So how do we get that education? Cause I think, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there isn't a subsegment of the population that would be fearful. And, and mm-hmm. let's talk about that. Am I off base on that? Mm-hmm. So I think you're starting out with, you know, there's a couple of different places where, I think we'll have to make sure that we do a really good job of, you know, educating all, you know, the stakeholder chain, essentially, obviously, first and foremost, with patients and their families. And I think, you know, it would be incumbent upon us as providers to make sure that we have done our due diligence. You know, and again, this model has been rigorously tested by multiple reliable institutions. It's been actually used again in multiple different places. And so I think the safety outcomes of this and the quality is, you know, undeniable at this point. But to me, one of the things, and I briefly touched on it before about, you know, giving patients options for their home, is it's super important for me for patients to have choices. And so even if Medicare were to adopt this widespread or payers were to do this as well, it is my strong belief that this should be an option for patients because patients should not be forced to do this if they don't feel comfortable. The good thing I think again is that the studies were really robust and they actually showed about a 70% adoption rate when people were offered the hospital at home model versus the traditional hospitalization. And those were pre-COVID numbers. So I can only imagine that if we actually studied this now in the era of COVID when people are afraid of coming into the hospital and now that there's more information that there are actually places that are doing it and doing it successfully, I would expect this would be higher. But a lot of it is just the fear of the unknown. And so I think, you know, when I came here as a hospitalist now 16 years ago and started the hospitalist group up here, Hospital medicine was very new. It had only been around for a handful of years. And I remember, even though the community welcomed me, there were, you know, patients and providers that were thinking, yeah, I don't think we'll, we'll probably end up using the hospitalist because, you know, we want to stick with this traditional model. And, and now we universally admit for all the primary care providers in town. And so I think it just takes time and patience for people to get used to new models. And so I think that that is to be expected. And I think once people see their neighbor have it done and realize and hear about it or somebody else in you know, another group that they might be in, I think that this will take off. I think for those of us that get in things early, and um, we sort of understand that there's a level of patience. And I think that's the hard thing for me when you're so passionate about something, you believe in it. You, of course, you're like, I want everybody to do this right now, but understanding that that's not where everybody is and that it's just going to take some time. And so I think for the patients and the family, the big thing is giving the information that they need, but respecting the choices that they're going to make until they're comfortable with it. Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions is devoted to helping healthcare organizations succeed with a complete menu of customizable practice management services. The Expense Management Division of Encompass has maintained a 100% success rate of reducing expenses for hundreds of practices by an average of 20% over the past 20 years. 
Imagine what your practice could do with an extra 50 to 100K per year. Could you hire new staff, purchase capital equipment, give raises and bonuses? Encompass will help your practice reduce expenses and improve your bottom line. The best part is that Encompass will show you how to achieve significant savings without changing vendors or products or disrupting your day-to-day -day activities. The expense management program utilizes a contingency-based compensation model. Their only compensation is 50% of the actual verified monthly savings. Plus, Encompass guarantees that their work will not involve any more than eight hours per year of your staff's valuable time. Encompass even offers a $25,000 savings guarantee. Sleep better at night knowing that Encompass is monitoring your vendors each month to ensure that you are getting the best possible prices. For more information, go to EncompassHDS.com, select Expense Management Program, and click the Learn More button to schedule your discovery call. Yeah, so you just hit on, I think, where my brain was going. I, I was unaware of the the 70% adoption. So we got over that hurdle. That's great to know. Mm -hmm. So that's just a an education component. But where is the message being delivered to the patient point of care, right? Once they're in the hospital, it's kind of that ship has sailed. So I'm assuming it has to be at the primary care level who's making these referrals. And if that's the case, how do we get primary care docs? What's the methodology to get them to understand, to believe in it, to vet it, and then to adopt it as a viable tool and solution for that appropriate subsegment of their patient population? Mm -hmm. So great question. I think, again, as this model has become more in use through COVID, you know, with the waiver in place, with the systems that are adopting it, you are seeing more and more of this in the press. I mean, it's made, you know, CBS nightly news when, you know, one of the bigger healthcare systems signed on to this as well. So I think it's going to become a little bit more mainstream in front, of, in front of people. But in the beginning, you know, some of it is going to be actually going out to the doctor's offices and meeting with them and going over the data as well, too. Hopefully engaging with some of those societies, the American Family Practice Association, having the Society of Hospital Medicine actually as well, you know, sort of talk about this. And again, traditionally as hospitals, we sort of met within the walls of the hospital. But, you know, I would consider myself still a hospitalist because I'm delivering hospital medicine. It's just the, the walls are different. They look a little bit different as well. And so I think it's getting out to those larger societies, continuing to do the data. Again, super blessed that the trailblazers ahead of us have done such a great job with doing the due diligence of getting the data and the process in place. Right. And they're actually really, I think the great thing has been watching this group sort of combine forces to say, let's all pool our resources and our learning together because we're all still learning on this model together and let's share best practices because our goal is to get this so that it is widespread. And so if there's this really nice collaborative community that is sort of rallied around this hospital at home model, which is really exciting to be a part of a community that's, you know, really thinking innovatively, really putting the patient at the center of their healthcare decisions. And so I think that group is really getting a really strong and powerful voice. To your point, I think, you know, some of it is going to be, you know, getting the patient to be able to ask for it and advocate for themselves. And that's part of this model of really engaging the patient in their healthcare choices as well. And so patients that come from a private payer, you know, they could get referred to our group in any manner from a primary care physician's office, from an urgent care 
the CMS model, the waiver is actually a little bit more restrictive. Those patients need to come from an actual inpatient bed. So there's some systems that are actually doing an early discharge model. So spend your first day or two in the hospital, but the last couple of days at home, and it really probably helps smooth that transition to home as well too. And so in those instances, you'll really want to be engaging with the emergency department team and with the inpatient team, usually a hospitalist team as well. So you hit on two points there that I've been thinking about, and I think they're connected. So having never been on the clinical or provider side and always been on the other side of the fence, as an aside, it's remarkable that I'm having a, such a smooth and easy conversation with a provider leader. <laughs> That's by the way, I, I heard your conversation with uh, Sean Evans, too. So. Yeah, this will, uh, I'm trying to learn some stuff about, 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 posi- about physicians and their um, ego. So sidebar. Yeah. So you've been doing great. But the real question I have for you about this is that the businessman in me and the administrator in me sees two things going on. One is that's a heavy lift in any business when you have to educate the marketplace, right? Because like you said, it takes time and time is money. And so there's a significant amount of energy capital resources that have to go into getting patients to understand this is something they can ask for, getting those gatekeepers to feel comfortable referring. That's one. And the other one is that it seems like short-sighted maybe administrators might see this as a threat to them. And so Mm -hmm. that early discharge seems like it's an interesting way to overcome that potential that people would say like, well, you're taking patients that I want to treat in my hospital. So how do you, is that the only way that you can bridge that gap and find ways to partner? Or maybe you can talk to me about how you partner with a local hospital system to make this make sense for origin healthcare, the patients and the system. Mm -hmm. No, it's a great question as well too. And I think, again, my hope for all of us in healthcare as well too, is that we get to a point where we just start from scratch in our sort of mind's eye and say, let's put the patient at the center. Let's build a healthcare system around them on what they actually need. And then the rest of us sort of, as we're sort of surrounding that patient, you know, what piece are we claiming? How does that payment work? And I know that that's a really big ask of the healthcare machinery that we have in place right now. And so to be fair, I would say that, you know, looking at some of the work that was done by some of the early pioneers here is they will talk about approaching healthcare systems years ago about this. And again, we're sort of set up to get the results that we have sort of put in play for ourselves. So in a fee-for-service world, it is sometimes difficult for health systems to make that decision to move care outside of the hospital where yeah. the reimbursement would be lower because it impacts their bottom line. And then they would say our ability to continue to care for other patients as other well. Other patients, yeah. Some of that is pushed out right now. Obviously, the reason that this CMS model is being adopted is because, as you know, many of these health systems are challenged by capacity. They're double boarding patients. They're not able to do surgeries right now because they can't actually have a bed available for that post-surgical patient to go into. And so capacity issues in these times right now are obviously driving this to the forefront. But the pandemic will end at some point. And there are systems that capacity is an ongoing issue. And so this would be something that they would look at as well. But I would say that healthcare systems, what I would encourage them 
to think about is you really, again, we mentioned sort of the capital infrastructure costs that you could save, but our duty as healthcare providers and healthcare systems is to serve our patients in the medical community that we're working in as well. And we may have to innovate differently. And so do you wanna be a healthcare system that really drives innovation? Healthcare is moving towards the home. I think it's undeniable at this point that there will be more and more healthcare that will be delivered in the home. More decisions about health will be made in the home. The ability that technology has provided us to actually be able to monitor patients closely, that's, you know, again, a driving force for while we're here. And so I want those health systems to really embrace this innovation and figure out how they're going to fit into this change, because I really feel like this change is coming regardless. And I think there's still so much opportunity they have to provide healthcare and you know, still see good financial bottom lines as well. But it is something we have to be mindful of about addressing those hurdles when we are talking to some of these stakeholders. You know, and as you mentioned about, and I've heard this this mindset of, you know, if we take in less money in through door A, we're gonna have less money to treat patients in section B, right? Mm-hmm. And my response always to that is that, well, first of all, we're assuming that. Section B is running efficiently and operating in a lean manner so that you're not overspending. Because if you're overspending and we can cut the overspending, the difference might be nothing. And and there's a net, net, net gain to the patient, to the system, to the innovation. And so Mm -hmm. I found that to be a very difficult conversation, not in healthcare, in any organizations. And it gets more difficult the bigger that they get. Right. Exactly. I think the natural tendency for all of us as human beings is to think about what we're going to lose out when something comes in instead of what we can gain. And to your point, and I definitely don't know this data as well as I do healthcare data, but that happens in a lot of industries, right? Innovation, you know, automation, assembly lines, and everyone thinks, you know, now we're all going to be out of jobs. And individual jobs may not be there, but workforce shifts and workforce adopts, you know, we're always going to need health systems. We're always going to need hospitals as well. What does the new next generation of hospital look like? And I would say that that generation of hospital is going to have to stretch, you know, wider outside of the walls than we previously thought before. And I think there's plenty of opportunities still with all the advances that we're seeing for hospitals still to have a really important role in this. I think you're right. And it is true. I I don't want to come across like I'm picking on health systems or (laughs) even on doctors. Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, there's like you, there's many other docs that are doing some really great work and working hard. I think that not we're talking about a system, but if you talk about our healthcare machine, like you described it for the whole country, that's the challenge, right? Because it was built to do one thing at one place in time. And as you've said, that place and time is now changing. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is trying to get this giant machinery to retool itself while it's running. And mm-hmm. and so that's in particular why I wanted to have you on the show because you're you're doing the work to retool the machine while it's running. It's not easy, but I want to get the word out because I think it does have the ability to have a significant impact on that whole machine because this concept, it works here, it works in Europe, it works in this state, it works in this study, it works in this company. It can work everywhere. Mm-hmm. And and if it can work everywhere, that's a game changer in my opinion. It's a game changer in terms of the outcomes, in terms of prevention, in terms of cost, in terms of psychological and emotional well-being. I don't know what else 
has this big of an impact potentially that you can do and that one person can go out and try to do this. So I applaud you and I will tell my listeners or our listeners, now you know why every time I walk away from these conversations with Dr. Lumlung, I think do more, do better, do bigger, help more people. So thank you very much for coming on today and explaining the idea. And more importantly, thank you for your energy and passion that you bring to this. It's really important. And there's a lot of people that are going to be positively affected by your your endeavor. So thanks again. And hopefully you'd be willing to come back maybe in some time in the future and kind of give us an update on what's going on. And maybe you can share with us some of the outcomes that you're seeing and, and share your journey with us. I would love that. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. And if you're okay, I'm just going to add one last thing as well, too. You, yeah. know, you, you sort of talked about this. I think, you know, when I when I started on this venture as well, too, I started out with sort of, I think, the big picture idea of, you know, we can do better and we all have an important role to play in doing better. And it may seem really big at time. It may seem really small at times, but don't be afraid of that hard work if you see something that you know will make a positive impact on doing things better. And so I just encourage everyone to get out there and, and give it a try and, and think about the possibilities and encourage everyone around you to do the same. That's awesome. Will do. So listen, if you want more information or you want to just reach out to Dr. Lumlung, let me give you an email address. It's C-L-U-M-L-U-N-G at originhc.com. So that's clumlung at originhc.com. Dr. Lumlung, as always, it's great to talk with you and uh, great and good luck to you. And I'll talk with you soon. Yeah. Sounds great. Michael, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's my pleasure. Take care. In talking with Dr. Lumlung, it got me to thinking. As a serial entrepreneur, I have a particular focus on startups and the required elements needed to make them successful. It's always ticking in my brain and evaluating these new ventures as I come across them. And I was struck by how there is this serendipitous convergence of perfect entrepreneurial circumstances that it should allow for an easy launch for Origin Healthcare. CMS is starting to loosen the purse strings and pay for new delivery models. Consumers are more readily adopting telehealth and the new models of care delivery. And the market itself is not operating efficiently, which implies there's pent up demand for a better solution. Yet through my own personal experience, observation and a review of numerous case studies, I know that Dr. Lumlung has a hard climb in front of her. Why should this be the case? When everything is aligned, why is it so hard to get new ideas into the marketplace? And I think the answer lies in two places. One is in business theory and the other is in recent government strategy. Mr. Sharma, chief global strategist at Morgan Stanley Investment, recently wrote that the government interventions have done more to stimulate the financial markets than affecting our base economy. And this can be seen in the wild ride the stock market has taken during a once in a lifetime black swan event. With so much uncertainty, the market should be falling, but aggressive fiscal policy that pumps billions into the coffers of already rich corporations depress the need for innovation. Instead, these large companies can focus on buying back shares and market consolidation. And market consolidation is achieved by buying up the competition, 
stealing away talent and ultimately crowding out the smaller players because of their sheer financial heft. And that's an artificial advantage. Were it not for the plentiful government money, organizations would be forced to adapt or lose market share to a better service or product. In healthcare, we see these behemoths on the provider side in the large healthcare systems. And on the payer side, we see them in large multinational insurance companies. A hospital system's first reaction is not to embrace a lower cost, better outcome model of healthcare delivery, especially if they perceive it as eroding their revenue streams and or losing agency over that patient. Like all businesses, they are taught to erect rigid barriers to competition. And this is the second factor that comes into play. These rigid barriers to competition are almost a knee-jerk reaction that we are taught from the first moment we start businesses. And so while insurance companies might be open to the idea of paying smaller claims for better care, their sheer size and entangled bureaucracy makes getting the model reviewed and adopted a Herculean task. The end result is better solutions are choked out by the unintended consequence of large fiscal policy and a win-at-all-cost mentality. And we, the patients, are sicker and poorer for it. You've been listening to the Healthcare Huddle, simplifying the business of healthcare. For more information, show notes, guest profiles, and more, visit EncompassMedical.com and subscribe to the podcast at Apple iTunes, Overcast, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.